O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And uh, we've sung that, I don't know, is it five or six times? Six times. Well, this, is, this is my message part five, so I think we've sung it five times. And, and the idea is this has been my, my uh, sermon series title. And it's really been a call for us really to think about um, the Old Testament, think about leading up to the days of Jesus, um, just what, what was the cry of Israel. And my, my goal has been really to capture this phrase of this hymn that we have sung and, and taken it in its broadest scope to realize that this is really the, the cry of the Old Testament. I mean, the, the cry of the Old Testament says this, is that there's something wrong. I mean, from the from Adam and Eve sinning and bringing sin and death into the world. I mean, God's covenant with Abraham was good and wonderful. It was going to be this big nation. And then they got to be a couple million people. And then they're enslaved. Like, something's not quite right here. As, as good as Moses was to redeem the people from slavery, from Egypt, something's not quite there, right there. He couldn't enter the land. We need a Redeemer who's going to enter the land with us. And as good as the judges were in saving Israel from their distress, we need a better Savior. One is going to have a lasting salvation. As good as all the kings were, and even as good as David was, we need a better king. We need a forever king who's going to sit on David's throne. And, and, and the sheer number of prophets throughout the, um, throughout the Old Testament, just they preached repentance, repentance, repentance. It just showed how far uh, Israel had strayed constantly, how, how far they were, 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 were pursuing away from that. And ultimately, what we need is we need a new heart that God's going to help us with. Hopefully, my mic. I'll just I'll just keep going. You'll you'll get it. We we need a new heart. I mean, just like the testimony of how many prophets there were demonstrates that our hearts are are prone to wander. And we need a new heart. We need God to come into our heart. And to all this, those in the Old Testament cried out, "Oh, come." O come, Emmanuel, O God, come and give us the Redeemer, the Savior, the King, who will ultimately change us and deliver us from all this trouble. Well, last morning was Christmas morning. We celebrated Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And we celebrated God's coming to earth and the birth of Jesus. And indeed, really, when you think about it, God heard the cry of those in the Old Testament who said, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and Emmanuel indeed came. Well, this morning I want to continue just one more Sunday because I want for us to consider from the New Testament of, of this theme. Because really, I think the theme of the New Testament, the great application of the New Testament is this as well. It's, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And listen, the fact that Jesus came the first time gives us all the more confidence that he will come again a second time as he hears our cry. So this morning, what I want to do is just like I've done, I've, I've just taken rather than a verse of Scripture, which I typically do, just take a passage of Scripture like I did Christmas morning, Galatians 4, 4 and 5, just open it up for us. We're just going to consider the whole New Testament today. We consider all the Old Testament. We're going to consider the New Testament this morning. And uh, so what I want to look at first is is Jesus. It's a good first point if you're talking about the New Testament, right? Jesus taught that he was coming again. And that we should be ready for his coming and that we should be longing for his coming. Now, it's interesting. While he was on earth, this was not the emphasis of his teaching. He, he didn't emphasize his second coming. He emphasized his first coming. 
I mean, because that's what he was. He was, it was, was, here I am. And in fact, you think about what was the very first message that he gave to the people? Remember what it, what it was? He comes on the scene. First message he preaches is repent. Yeah, for the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he's saying is the king is here. I'm here. I have come. And you need to repent. And Jesus spent much of his ministry showing people what the, what the kingdom was like. He, he healed people to give them a taste that the kingdom of, of heaven will have no illness. He taught people in the ways of God to give them a, a vision of how the kingdom will be filled with righteousness and with, with righteous people. The majority of his time was spent putting forth his messianic credentials, showing himself that he was indeed the expected Messiah. Do you remember when the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus with a message from John? And and John had asked this, are you the one to come or should we look for another one? John was in prison because Herod had imprisoned him and he's having some doubts maybe. Is this Jesus, are are you really the one? Because some of what I see looks right. Some of what I see doesn't quite look right. Are you this Emmanuel to come? And Jesus answered, by alluding to Isaiah 35, which speaks of some of the messianic credentials of what the Messiah would do. Matthew 11, 4 and 5. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news to preach to them. There's Emmanuel. He says, I'm with you. I'm among you. I'm there. Right, But people were expecting something different. They, they weren't expecting this, this Emmanuel to come and, and just cleanse and, and, and help and, and then eventually die. Right? We sing meek and mild. Right, Mild, he lays his glory by. People weren't anticipating that. They, they weren't really believing that. They, they weren't expecting the Messiah to be a, a suffering servant. They wanted a military ruler. In fact, you remember when Jesus was talking with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus after he'd resurrected from the dead? Jesus joined these, these men walking along, and he was unrecognizable by either of them. And Jesus said, why are you so sad? And they explained how they had hoped upon Jesus that, that he was their Messiah. And they had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. That is right, rescue them from the hands of the, the tyranny of the Romans. But they explained to Jesus, but the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Their hopes were dashed. Yet there were rumors of an empty tomb. But they were, they were confused. And the resurrected Jesus told them this. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He said, you're fool. You didn't, you didn't realize that, that the Messiah, when he came, had to suffer first and then enter his glory. And, and I'm sure as he began, as verse 27 says, with Moses and all the prophets interpreting the things concerning himself, I do think that the broad outline of his talk with his disciples was surely, listen, the coming of the Messiah is twofold. The first time he comes, he needs to suffer. He needs to be the sacrifice for sins. The second time he's going to come, and he's going to come and rule and reign. The first, com- the first coming, right? The disciples missed it, right? They, they, they missed. They were so focused on his military aspect that they missed his suffering aspect. But it's interesting for us. Isn't this the thing we rejoice in? 
rejoice constantly here at Rock Valley Bible Church, the gospel, that Christ came and died on the cross for our sins, that we might believe in him and experience the forgiveness of sins and the transformation of a life, a difference that's made when we believe and trust in him and follow in his ways. It's a gospel. And with hindsight, right, we look at the first coming of Christ with great rejoicing, right? That we often forget his second coming. And I think these disciples on the road to Emmaus, right, were so longing for this second coming in glory that they sort of missed the first coming. But, but that's what my point this morning is really, is that we must not forget his second coming. We must long for his second coming. That's, that's why we need to cry, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Just even as we, we have sung, right, O come, the fourth stanza, desire of nations bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrels cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. That's not where the world is today. There's quarrels, there's strifes, there's division. And it's, it's longing for Messiah to come and restore things and put things aright. Well, this morning, right, I just want to overview the whole New Testament to show how we should long for the second coming. And Jesus did teach the second coming, and he did say that we should long for it. And his clearest teaching on the, the second coming comes from the Olivet Discourse. Now, where did he speak his Olivet Discourse? Help me now. Where? The Mount of Olives. That's why it's Olivet, the Olives Discourse. This was overseeing Jerusalem. And if you want to, you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, because I'm going to refer, reference some books, some verses there, because that's where Jesus speaks um, these things about the, the coming. That's in Matthew 24 and 25. It's also in uh, in um, Mark chapter 13. Um, it's also in Luke someplace. Luke 19 is what I think. I can't quite remember. But here he is, was talking with his disciples, and he's, he's he basically speaks about his second coming because that's some of the things, his questions, his disciples were asking him. Look at verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, Matthew 24, verse 3, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, when he's talking about what will these things be, Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple. Chapter 24 and verse 1. Because they, they said they marveled at this great building that they had. And Jesus says, there's going to be a day when this is torn down and there's no stone that's left unturned. They said, when, when are these going to be? And, and when's going to be the sign of the, the end of the age? And then Jesus proceeds to talk about the signs of his coming. The things that uh, we need to look for and see before he comes. Now, we don't have time to look at the details. But Jesus describes a time before his coming. It's a time of false teaching. A time of wars. A time of hostility and persecution against his followers. A time of lawlessness and sin. Sounds a lot like today, actually. And then, in verses 29 through 31, Jesus describes his coming with these marvelous words. He says this, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So this cosmic disturbance and then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man 
coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from the end of heaven to the other. And such will Jesus come. He will come in splendor. He will come with majesty and power and glory, surfing, if you will, on the clouds. As such that that everybody's going to see Jesus coming back. And when he comes, he's going to gather his people. He identifies here as his elect, his chosen ones. He's going to gather his people from the four winds, from the one end of the heaven to the other. They're going to be with him. Emmanuel, God with us. People with God. Now, we don't know when that, that day will come, but we should long for such a day. How many of you want to see this? Right. This is IMAX, right, to, to the nth degree when you see the whole thing coming. And we should long for that. As much as you long for any glorious movie to go to or any experience that you might have, this would be the greatest experience you might ever, ever have. And for that, we should be crying out what? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And throughout the rest of chapter 24 and 25, Jesus says, we don't know when this day will come. But we need to be ready for it. Look at verse 36. Concerning the day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven or the Son, but the Father only. So the key is then be ready for that day. Verse 42. He says this. He says, therefore, stay awake. You do not know when the day of the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. It would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. We need to long for this hour. We need to long for the coming of Christ. We have no idea when he's going to come back. So we need to be the faithful and the wise servant. Verse 45, who's, who's been given a task to do. We, we just need to be about doing the work that God has given us to do. To walk righteously, to, to, to love justice, and to walk in humility, and to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that when he comes back, he's going to find us doing what we're supposed to be doing. That is serving the Lord. And one of the best ways to do this is have this constant heart cry that says, Oh, come. Oh, come, Emmanuel. I want you to come. I want you to come. Well, how's that for a broad overview of the teaching of Jesus, the second coming? Just, just there it is. But Jesus wasn't the only one to teach the second coming. So did Paul. So my, my second point, we've seen Jesus, and now let's look at Paul. And what I find interesting about Paul is Paul had a, a sneak peek at the coming of Christ. Do you remember when he saw that? It's in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Emmaus. That, that he was, he was walking there on that road and he got to see the, the resurrected Jesus alive and well and speak to him and convert him and change him and then commission him to go forth and to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul longed for Jesus to come again and to set things right. And over and over again in his writings, right, he urges us to long for the coming of Jesus. Over and over. In fact, I would, I would argue that almost every single epistle of, of Paul, he's, he's got some context there about the coming of Christ. I'm just going to point you to a few. You can turn over to 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 through 18, uh, we, we, see, we see it there. The first letter, this, by the way, 1 Thessalonians is one of the first letters that, that Paul ever wrote to a church. 
this early in his, his ministry, he was there, went and visited the church, and then he was gone, he heard, he was in Corinth, and he heard about how things were, and so he wrote to them. And picking up in verse 16, we read this, 1 Thessalonians four sixteen. The problem was that people were dying, and people were fearing that the Lord hadn't come yet, and so they were sorrowing for those who had died, and he said, no, 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 no. He said, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, with a sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet him in the air. So you always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Jesus is coming. And those who have died believing in Jesus are going to raise from the dead at his coming. And then we who are alive at his coming, right? When we see this IMAX thing come and we see him, him coming, right? Remember, he's going to have the angels going to gather all the elect from the four winds of the earth. We're going to be with him. So the description here. And we will thus always be with the Lord. Verse 17. We're going to be with the Lord. And that's the whole idea. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. God, come and be with us. And the promises here is that we will always be with the Lord. And then Paul finishes with the admonition. Encourage one another with these words. The return of Jesus should be on our lips. We talk with each other. He's coming again. There's a day we'll be with him. And these words should come as an encouragement and a comfort and a help and an encouragement to, to press on. As we talk with others about these things, obviously, right, it's going to draw our hearts and our longings that Emmanuel might come and be with us. There's hardly a letter where Paul doesn't contain some sort of, of admonition like this. Um, we, we see that in Second Thessalonians, right? I mean, you just even turn over there. He speaks about the return of Christ in chapter 1. He speaks about the return of Christ also in, in chapter 2. And in chapter 1, the second coming of Christ is a comfort to his persecuted people. Because basically he says this, I'm going to return, I'm going to judge, I'm going to set things right. And for, for people who are being persecuted, right, and, and, and having troubles and, and are, are, are facing hardships because they're believing and trusting in Jesus and, and speaking up, when he comes, he's going to have vengeance upon those who have been inflicting the persecution. And that, that should find great joy in the heart of a believer. So Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 says this, God considers it just. God considers it right to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So like, like if, if we as Christians face persecution, we don't need to fight back. Jesus didn't fight back. We say vengeance is God's. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. We just need to give it to God. God sees it only as just. To repay with affliction those who afflict you. And, verse 7, to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. We saw that in Matthew 24. He's speaking about when he comes back. He's going to come back with his angels. They're going to gather together his elect. Right? We see him coming down in First Thessalonians chapter 4 with the trump of the archangel. Our angels are involved in his coming back. And he's going to come with his mighty angels, verse 8, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the interesting thing. When, when Jesus comes back, it's a twofold response. Um, to, to those who, who speak against God, who, who hate God, it's going to be terrifying. 
Those who haven't obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, as verse 8 says, right? In other words, obeying the gospel means believing and trusting the gospel and following in obedience to everything that it calls you to do. For them, a a terrifying expectation is there, but it's uplifting and encouraging to us who are afflicted for the sake of Christ. Because we are afflicted. God's going to come. He's going to make things right. And the cry of the persecutors is, O come, O come, Emmanuel, grant relief, bring forth your justice, Right the wrongs. Help us in our need. Do you see a need in your life today? Do you see a need? If you don't see a need, you're not going to cry out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. But when you see your sin, and when you face some hardship for Jesus, you're going to see your need and say, Come, Jesus, take vengeance and, and come and be with us. And that's what Jesus does in the second coming and continuing on. You can see how, how bad it is, right? They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believe because our testimony to you was believed. The coming of Jesus is terrible for those who don't believe in eternal destruction. I mean, destruction is bad enough, but eternal, just constantly being destroyed. Eternal destruction, away from the presence of God, away from his glory. See, that's the idea. Emmanuel is, is, is with us, that, that we get to see his glory. And didn't Jesus pray that? The night when he was betrayed, he says, I, I pray that they might be with me to see my glory that I had before the world began. But for those who believe and trust in his name, they get to marvel at his glory. You might marvel at the Marvel movies, but this is marveling at something far greater than that. His coming is so great, even that Paul calls it our blessed hope. That's over in Titus. So, so turn, you're in the, the T's for Second Thessalonians, for Second Timothy, Titus. All the T's are all, all together. And we come to Titus. Paul's writing to his pastor friend. He's, he's telling him of the, the first coming of Jesus and how we ought to long for the second coming. Chapter 2, verse 11. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for, here it is, our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawless and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It's a great summary of the Christian life. God's grace appears, comes into our lives. We believe, we come to know salvation and God's grace then comes and teaches us what, what a godly life is in this present age as we are waiting for the next age and waiting for this blessed hope. The New American Standard translate this, translates this, looking for our blessed hope. There's the idea of, of longing and eagerness. Earnestly, right? O come, O come, Emmanuel. Like longing for this. As we're waiting, as we're looking, as we're longing for these things. And what's our blessed hope? Titus chapter 2, verse 13. It says, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our hope. Is when Christ appears, we will be with him. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And why do we long for his coming? Because he's redeemed us, he's purified us to serve him. That's what verse 14 is talking about. He gave himself for us 
to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God, God comes, he redeems us, changes us, transforms us to be people who are zealous for good works. Is, is that you? Do you know that blessed hope? Do you know his transforming work, a power to take you and transform you? Maybe you need to believe in Jesus because when you believe and trust in Christ, you'll be a transforming character. It will transform your character. You'll have a longing for Christ. The second coming of Christ, what we ought to long for. And we're talking about Paul. Just uh, Let me just zip through a bunch of other passages for you. Okay, just... Um, we got that. Okay, Philippians 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting and longing for this Savior to come. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7. You are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Waiting, longing, expecting right, the, the, the revelation of Christ. Now, we could look at 1 Corinthians 15. It's a whole passage. It speaks about the resurrection and how he's going to come back again. But we're going to skip that one for the sake of time. But here's one, 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Right? You don't love Christ? Paul says, be accursed. Let's curse the one who doesn't love Jesus. But, he says, our Lord, come. And you know the Greek for that? Our Lord, come. Many translations even have it there. Maranatha says it right there in your, in your passage. Maranatha is a Greek word, right? You've probably heard of that before. There's some Christian organizations called Maranatha. Maranatha is the cry, O Lord, come, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Are you longing for Christ? Maybe you love the world. Maybe you love your situation. Maybe all things well and good for you. Maybe you don't want your life cut short. Maybe you want to live into your retirement years in bliss and glory. Doing nothing, which will kill you, by the way. The longing of the New Testament is for Jesus to return and right the wrongs and bring us to himself that we would be with him. Right? When you see bad things in the news, how do you respond? You get angry? You try to do something, try to change something? Or do you pray? God, this world is messed up. Just come. Just come. Figure it out for us, oh God. As long as there is news, there is bad news. You watch the news today, and you get bad news. Whenever you look at your Apple news, you get bad news. You eat your Fox news, you get bad news. You look at your CNN news, you're going to get bad news. Your PBS, whatever. You're going to get bad news. It ought to create us to... To pray, God, this is not the way the world was created to be. You created it good. If you started reading through the Bible today, Genesis 1 is where many people start. And it was good. And it was good. And it was good. And it was good. And it was very good. And that's not what it is today. It's not good. It's not good. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's very bad. It's what our earth is today. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, right? Make it all right, oh, God. Well, again, we go more into Paul, but I think I've looked at that a little bit. Finally, we're going to look at, we looked at Jesus, we looked at Paul, we're going to look at John, John is who we're going to look at. Exactly right. 
John wrote five books found in the Bible. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he wrote the book of Revelation. And Revelation is all about the return of Jesus to earth. So you can turn your Bible to Revelation. You just got it if you're in Titus. You just turn it over just a, a little bit more. And we see right from the very first chapter the, the theme and the mode of the, the whole context of Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 4, it says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. He says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And that continues from the seven spirits who are before his throne. But from, from Jesus, the one who is, he's, Jesus is alive today. He, he was, right? He came to earth before, but he is the coming one. He's the one who is coming. It's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's about the coming of Jesus. And we see a similar description in, in verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Matthew 24, 1 Thessalonians 4. He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. He's not coming in secret. He's coming for everyone to see. Everyone's going to see him. Even those first century Jews who pierced him and put him on the cross. And it says that they will mourn for him. They will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. This verse speaks about Jesus coming back. It references Zechariah 12.10, which describes when he comes, when, when people see him, and even those who pierced him will mourn for him because they crucified the Lord of glory. We see a reference to his coming also in verse 8. It's just continuing on there. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, like I span everything, said the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. There he is. God, come and be with us. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Jesus is coming. It's a message of revelation. And there are different responses. There are those who hate his coming, Really, there are those who hate this prayer. O come, O come, Emmanuel, don't pray that prayer. We don't want Emmanuel to come because we know judgment is going to come upon us. They refuse to believe in him. They refuse to accept his rule over their lives. They refuse to submit to his lordship. They can expect the judgment of God upon them. But there are others, on the other hand, who long for his coming because they've loved him and believed him. And served him even to their death. And Jesus is going to come and be their vindication. Right? So turn over to chapter 6. Like chapter 6, we see that the seals being opened, which signifies the beginning of the judgment of God upon the earth. And we see four horses with the first six seals. And then in the fifth seal, in verse 9, we, we find a description of these martyrs under the altar of God. We read this. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told the rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Here we see those who had been witnesses to Jesus, just like I've been telling you about in the book of Acts. 
Right? Be a witness. Be my witness for Jesus. We see them being a witness for Christ and being killed like they are in other nations today. We call these people martyrs because they've given their life for the faith. But did you catch their longing? It comes there in chapter 6, verse 10. These are those who have died for their, their faith in Christ. And consider their longing for the coming of Jesus to come in judgment to make things right. Oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long will before you judge and avenge our blood with those who dwell on the earth? How, how long are you going to wait in coming? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, set things right, avenge our blood. Such is the longing of the martyrs. Such ought to be our longing as well. Oh, God, come. Take vengeance upon your enemies and gather your elect from the four winds of the earth that we might be with you forever. Uh, Revelation chapter 11. And again, we're just just zooming right through 11, through Revelation. In this chapter, we see the seventh trumpet being blown. There's six, seven seals, there's seven trumpets. So we're kind of nearing the the end of God's wrath upon the earth. In Revelation 11, verse 15, we see the seventh angel blowing his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying this, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. There's the declaration, right? That God is establishing his kingdom with the seventh trumpet. Boom, here it is. He's going to be king and lord over all the earth. The 24 elders, whoever these were, were sit on their thrones before God. They fell on their faces and they worshiped God saying this. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. The time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both great and small, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Did you catch their joy at the coming of Christ to establish his rule and his reign? Verse 17. He said this. Uh, we are, we are right here. Verse 17. He said, we give thanks to you. That should be 11, 17. So something's messed up there. That's 11, 17. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty. We give thanks to you who is and who was. You've taken your great power and begun to reign. That's the longing of every follower of Christ. That he is our Lord and we want him to rule and reign. And when he does, it will be a great opportunity for praise to God. And we long for that time to come. We have to long for that joy of thanks at the return of Christ. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. We long for verse 15, that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's what we long for. That's what we say. When we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, as I read in that, in that stanza, we're longing for all peoples to be one heart and mind, to bid envy, strife, and quarrels cease. To fill the whole world with your heaven's peace. And the only way the peace is going to happen is when God comes and he crushes his enemies. That's when he establishes peace. And that's what we mean by O come, O come, Emmanuel, when everything is made right. Okay, chapter 19. Right, We're, we're getting close to the end. There's only 22 chapters, so we're in 19. And then we'll see something from 21 and, and 22. Revelation 19. There's a repeated word in Revelation 19. Do you know what it is? What's the repeated word in Revelation 19? Alleluia. 
All right, so here we go. I'm going to read this together. And if you're following along in the ESV, when it comes to Alleluia, I want all of you to say with me, Alleluia. All right? It goes like this. Let's see, where are we? Okay. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Alleluia! Salvation and glory belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Alleluia! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Alleluia! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Alleluia! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deed to the saints." And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Did you just catch the excitement? Did you catch the enthusiasm of the time in which God reigns and then we as a church get to be married to Jesus Christ, to be one with him, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's when Jesus gets to take his bride that he has been purifying upon the earth. He pulls us to be with him. And there is opportunities there for alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Like, do you like weddings? I love weddings because weddings are happy times. And we get to feast at the wedding of weddings. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. That we might come to the wedding. We're going to be wed with you forever. We should long for the wedding to take place. God is with us. We sang earlier, we will feast in the house of Zion. With this on my mind, I was just, I was singing that. We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things. We will say together, we will feast and weep no more. Some imagery even coming from chapter 21. In fact, turn over there to chapter 21. We will feast and weep no more. Chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. Read thus. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. We will feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we will weep no more. Do you long for that day? Do you long for that day when the, the weeping and the sorrows and the trials of earth are gone? You know, holidays are, are great for many of us. 
But holidays are, are difficult for many, many others because of the brokenness of our world. I spoke to a man this week who told me, um, he said, Steve, you know, I asked him how his Christmas was, and uh, he said, yeah, I'm glad it's over. He said, he said, my life is different than yours, Steve. Right? You get the family. We without family. He's got two daughters, but he did not open a single present this Christmas season. So broken is his family. Neither of his daughters, who are like eighteen and twenty. I'm thankful that I received some gifts from my children. Thankful for the pool rack and other things. Right. But can you imagine people don't receive anything? They don't know the joy of that. And so for, for some, it's life is good, but for others, it's very difficult. Or those of the rescue mission over this holiday season, like their families are broken. But the idea here is that Revelation 21 is all that's going to be wiped away. And did you notice verse 3? It speaks about, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to be with God. This is the cry when we say, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That's God be with us and dwell with us. Because we know that when we dwell with God in his glory, we will see him as he is. We'll be his, his child. We'll be perfect, and there'll be no more tears. Do you long for that day? It's the cry of the New Testament. O come, O come, Emmanuel. All right, one last verse. We're going to go to the very end of Revelation. Not the last verse, which says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. But I want to look at verse 20. Look at verse 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. And John then replies, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. There's the affirmation. I'm coming soon. And John says, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And that's how the Bible ends. On this cry that says, Oh, come. This, it, it ends with John praying. First of all, just that God would come. And then he issues his blessing upon the people who are reading. May God's grace be upon you all. And I, I just say, right, we've, we've, we've looked this whole Christmas season, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and maybe we even think that O come, O come, Emmanuel is only for the Old Testament saints who are anticipating the coming of Jesus. And that maybe it ended, right, at the birth of Jesus. But I'm saying that it, it goes on afterwards because we're not looking for his first coming. We're looking for his second coming. And we need to long for that coming when God makes everything right. So let's pray. Oh God, I long for that day and I long for our church, every single one of us here in this auditorium, to long for that day when Emmanuel would come, when he would dwell among us and the kingdom of our God and of his Christ would be established, that he would rule and reign forever and ever, and we would be his willing subjects underneath the, the King of kings and Lord of lords, he who we worship now and not seeing him, but but loving him, um, God, we will see him as he is in all of his glory and all of his splendor. And we will say to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. We will say worthy is a Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing 
we will have a chance to worship you and you will be with us and all tears will be wiped from our eyes. God, I, I can't paint a better utopia than those things there. And those ought to be the things that we long for. I pray that put the world in perspective. God, that you would, would um, strip us of the love of the world. God, for the, the love of the world is just, just temporary. It's passing away. The glory of Christ is eternal and everlasting. And I pray, God, through these messages that I have given, oh God, may we indeed say, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. Amen.